0: Forever, dog. Just
1: between
0: us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Mouse Raskin! I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I turned in the first draft of my next book, baby.
1: Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and karma is my boyfriend. Karma is a god. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: turned in your book. I did. Amazing, you did it. What a relief, I gotta tell you, Cause that was some tight deadlines I was facing.
1: Yeah, for those who uh, have not listened before, you wrote this book in four months after researching <laughs> for like a year, right?
0: I started researching in March, And because I was delayed in my process because I had intensive knee surgery and moved. Yeah. And then I started writing in August and I turned it in a couple of days before December 1st, which was my deadline. Oh, my God. So it was pretty intense. But I think what was good was that I just never let myself think I couldn't do it. Like, okay. I just was like, well, this is a lot, but I'll do two chapters a month and I'll just do it. And then I just like never even allowed myself to question that not being the case. <laughs> this is what
1: I respect about you so much is that like, if you're given a task, you're like, I'll just do it. Like you don't have, you're not like overthinking. You don't have a lot of like, like you, maybe you are, and maybe you do have self-doubt, but it doesn't come through in like your ability to complete a task or your ability to like finish a project. Like you are someone who like and that's literally the whole reason that we even like have a show and that we started in 2014 or whatever we started, because the idea that you would miss a deadline is unfathomable to you.
0: Yeah. And I actually with this one, I pushed my deadline, but I did it months ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And I also was given way less time to write a book than most people were. Right. I I didn't feel that weird about it. But yeah, I mean, I think that I I think the, the trick for me is that I don't think that the finished product has to be the best thing in the entire world. Because that's literally
1: the thing that you and I have in common that keeps yeah. us
0: together. Right. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I just have to write a book. I don't have to write the greatest book of all time. And that's literally,
1: that's like, that is our superpower. Cause I'm not the smartest. I'm not the funniest. I'm not like the best suited But damn it, if a script is due, I will finish it. (laughs) Right, And I work fast.
0: And I also think we both just treat it like a job. Like it was Uh never like, oh, well, I'm not inspired. It was like, well, I got to get to work. Let me hit my let me hit my quota for the day and clock out. Yeah, 100 percent.
1: And like I and like I work fast. Like I'm Uh like, well, it's my it's my nine to five. I, don't, I definitely don't wait for inspiration. I definitely just go like this needs to be on paper. Like we need to just do it. And like that, like you and I largely there are huge days where we don't feel like doing the podcast, but it's our job.
0: Oh, yeah. And that even is like kind of even more interesting than the showing up for the writing. It's like the showing up to be performative and to be on. And like I can't express how many times like it's then been like and we're out. And I just like my whole face falls and I look like I was just asleep. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And it's not that we're not having fun. It's not no. that we don't love doing the show. We absolutely love doing yeah. the show. It's just so funny that both of us are like, we're here to do our job and we do our job and like we're going to do the best podcast we could possibly do for the fans because we love and care about them. And like, e- even if like we're just like in my personal life, I don't feel great or, you know, something professional happened badly for you or whatever. We're still going to come to the show and give it 110 percent because like we just are both like you complete your tasks.
0: Right. And like it's tapping into a part of you that's like and now I'm at work, (laughs) you know, which is like funny because like our work is like, quote unquote, chatting. But like it is. But we do. I do have to. I
1: do have to think about the interviews, making them good. (laughs) We do have to think about, you know, what we're going to say in the international question, because I do feel a responsibility to the fans to be like thoughtful. What are we going to say during the topics? Like it is it is a lot of work and a lot of thinking.
0: No, it's definitely like I'll be so drained after t- like a double record day, which is what Absolutely. we mostly do because it's like, oh, my brain was just working so hard. Like, yeah. yes, I was just like sitting here, but it was like just even like while interviewing people, making it clear that I'm listening to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it takes a- like facial energy and like, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like I think we have a very like work workers mindset instead of like creators mindset in a weird mm-hmm. way that like has served us well. Definitely. Anyways, oh, well, this is, oh. <laughs> this is this, just between <laughs> one, two, three. This, this is this just
1: is between us. Between us. <laughs> a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous
0: games and brutal honesty. <laughs> We've got a really fun show for everyone today. Talk about using our minds. Yeah, we're going to be asking Kristen
1: Conger some tough questions about white suburban women ruining everything and also about conspiracy theories And this uh, two-parter episode that she did of her show called Illuminati Influencer Queens, which was just, you just have to hear it to believe it.
0: And it really makes you question, what are we using our minds for? (laughs) 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 Could we be using them better? (laughs) (laughs) And this week, we're going to be talking all about anti-drag legislation and topics. Yes, something I really wanted to discuss. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Anonymous, Australia.
1: I'm not saying Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi,
0: anymore. People you just have did said it. they don't like it. You just did it. Yeah. Okay, Anonymous says, T-L-D-R. I want my non-vegan partner to show more interest in veganism something that is very important to me and is strongly aligned with my core values. Hi, Allison and Gabby. I've been with my partner for 1.5 years now. I am a vegan and he is not. This has never been a problem in our relationship. I let him eat what he wants and he will usually always choose something with me if we go out to eat. However, we have had discussions about veganism as it is something that strongly aligns with my values and he has been open-minded and even suggested at one point, that he wanted to try eating vegetarian three times a week, though he never actually put effort into doing it. So now I think he just said it to make me happy. I also want to mention that I barely ever mention veganism as a topic, unless I get asked directly, because I don't want to push my views on other people. We occasionally cook meals together, which are obviously vegan. However, he goes out of his way to add meat to his portion. He will also often start conversations with me, specifically about meat and cheese, and talk about how good it was, which makes me feel like he doesn't really care slash understand my feelings. Recently, I asked him to watch one vegan documentary with me so that I can share something that I feel so strongly about. However, he pretty much said no, and the conversation shut down. His reason was that it would make him uncomfortable to watch anything that references animal cruelty, and he doesn't want to change his lifestyle. On top of this, I go to family dinners almost every week, and I want to say that I absolutely appreciate and love spending time with them. However, these dinners tend to be quite extravagant and his family enjoys going to restaurants where they can indulge in as many expensive meat dishes as possible. And they spend the whole dinner talking about how good the food is, but I'm usually stuck with one vegan option on the menu, if I'm lucky. Obviously, I appreciate being included in these dinners. However, sometimes it gets a bit exhausting having to tone down a part of myself just to make everyone else feel comfortable, when all I can think about is the poor animals that were killed just so they can have one yummy dinner. They will even make comments jokes about my veganism throughout the dinner, which he will sometimes participate in. I just feel that there's an imbalance, that I put myself through many uncomfortable situations because I care so much about making connection with him and his family. However, he can't watch one documentary that might make him a bit uncomfortable to show interest in something that I care about. The main thing that bothers me is that for a long time, he would say things that suggested that he was open-minded slash interested about it. So I kind of thought he would open up to it in his own time when he was ready to. However, now I know that he's not even willing to open up and learn about my values. And it just feels like he doesn't care slash isn't interested in learning about me as a person. It seems like such a minor thing in comparison. The rest of our relationship is amazing and he's the greatest guy I've ever been with and is always open to listening and caring for my needs, except for when it comes to this topic. Thanks so much. I love your podcast.
1: Okay, so there's two things going on here. One is that you, he should just be clear If he doesn't want to watch this stuff, if he's not actually interested in being vegan, just say that. Like, stringing this along in being like, well, I may be interested, maybe not. I'll, maybe I'll watch it. Maybe I'll try to be vegetarian. If you're not going to have the follow through, then just, just be honest with your partner and just be like, I don't want to do this. And then you can work from there because that's the honest truth Two. You're, you seem really concerned with, like, whether he's going to do this stuff for you and whether he shares your core values. But, like, do you like him? You don't share his values. Do you know what I mean? Like, like he might not be right for you purely because this really means a lot to you and you really care about animals and you really care about this uh, being vegan. And if he doesn't share that with you, then, like, that's something that you have to be like, this is really important to me. I really care about this. And so I'm, I'm not feeling good about him versus like, what, what, how does he feel? Does that make sense? Like, versus how does he feel? Like if he he doesn't share this value with you, that it's so important to you and won't even like engage with it. I think that like, that's, that's a clue to you. That's information for you on like, on like, if this person is right for you and if you you need to be with someone who's also vegan and who also cares about animals the same way that you do. It's not fair for you to be putting yourself in a position where you're you're uncomfortable and you're choosing to be there because of this person. But like, if he doesn't share your values, you don't have to be there. And also, I do think it's fucked up when people make fun of other people's dietary stuff. I think that's not nice. But th- you can't control what they do and you can't control what he does. You can only control you you being there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because I try to always have like a, a more balanced point of view about this stuff that I would have a few years ago. And I understand that a lot of relationship is compromised and that you're never going to find a perfect partner. But I did find myself reading this and being like, I don't know, <laughs> like, you like, know, like it, it is it is complicated and. And look, I think there's a couple different layers to this. I think baseline, you need to have a conversation with him about him and his family making fun of you because that is just something that doesn't need to keep happening. Yeah. Does that make sense? They can like, eat
1: meat around you, but they you, nobody should make fun of
0: anybody's dietary stuff. Right. So I think that like if you were going to do one thing to address this big, overwhelming problem potentially like that's where I would start like that's where I would say like hey like when you guys like I'm fine going to the restaurants I'm fine with you eating in front of me but like I don't appreciate then also being made fun of and so if you could stop please and then if if also if the next time someone in your family does it if you could stand up for me I would really appreciate that yes 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 and then when it comes to What you're going to do about his relationship towards your veganism. I mean, it's really hard because I think it's tricky when you go into a relationship hoping that someone will change. Right. And it's not that like you pulled this out of the air, like it seemed like he was giving you signals that he would. And then for that not to come true is is jarring. But the thing I will say is like we learn things about ourselves all the time and we often learn them through relationship with others. And so maybe a year and a half ago, you were someone who could date a meat eater and it wasn't that big of a deal to you. But now with who you are and what you believe, it is like very jarring to be so differently aligned than your partner about this thing that is so important to you. And I think it's worth having a conversation around. I think it's worth talking to him and saying like, it is really difficult for me that we are so different about this thing. I also feel like you do not, Maybe value it in me or, or recognize the extent that it is a part of my identity and the way in which I see the world. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, is this something that's okay? Like, I need to feel respected in this difference. Exactly. I feel like maybe right now you're not feeling respected in it, which is super valid. And that next step is then just asking yourself do you want a lifetime of being with someone who has a different approach about this part of your life that is really important to you? Because I think the answer could be sure or the answer could be no. Like, I think it's just something you need to allow yourself to examine because like it will forever be a thing. And you have to decide if it's if, if that's OK with you or not
1: <laughs> for yeah. it to
0: forever be a thing. Like if you're going to raise children together, how are you going to raise the children? Will they exactly. be vegan? Will they not be vegan? Like this is something that is worth having some really big conversations around and there's not a correct answer. You're not correct to say, I can't be with someone who's not vegan. You're not correct to say, I can be with someone. It's just personal decision. And yeah. it's something you just have to get in touch with yourself about and if you're okay with it or not.
1: And people make fun of vegans, but like if you just take away the stigma of like eh, vegans, like any other core value, if it's incompatible in a relationship, it's, it's that's a valid reason to break up. You know, like, again, we've talked about this before when we talked about like gender identity, but it's like you you deserve to be with someone who celebrates you and likes this about you and not someone who's just tolerating it. I think maybe it would behoove you to be with someone who at least even if he's not going to be vegan, have the conversation of like, this isn't funny to me. Like, this isn't this is something that I want you to be like, wow, you know what? One thing I like about my partner is I, that how much they love animals. Mm -hmm. One thing that I really respect about my partner is how is how much follow through they have about their core values. Right. How about that?
0: And, you know, sometimes like you have to to experience the relationship to see if these types of differences will push you further apart or pull you together. Like when I started dating John, I was still a pet. I was still eating chicken and and turkey and fish. And I didn't like that about myself, but I felt like in order to get the protein I thought I needed, that I needed to do that. And he ate everything and like is a very adventurous eater. And so at the beginning, it was like, uh oh, and I and I like decided as we've been together to first become a pescatarian and then to become a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And that obviously shifts what we can make in the home, where we can go, all of that. And there's a version of our relationship where that would have caused problems. Mm-hmm. And I was honestly like worried to come to make the decision to go full vegetarian because I was worried that he would be annoyed with me or that it would like cause issues. But he actually has been like super understanding of it. And he has eaten less meat since being with me. Right. He now tries to be m- more vegetarian, not strictly but like makes a conscious effort to eat meat less often. And when Mm -hmm. I met him, I would never ever have guessed that that is where we would have wound up, you know? So it's not like, it's not like, oh, I should have known from the beginning that he would never be this way. It was like, you didn't know. Sometimes you just need to like live an experience with a person and see what it is like to join lives. And if that works or not, and sometimes you're pleasantly surprised and sometimes you're frustrated because the flexibility you thought you saw at the beginning actually didn't end up being there. Mm -hmm. But also like, again, like this, I don't think this is something you have to decide in a vacuum. You don't have to decide. I can't be with a vegan. Let me just leave. Mm -hmm, I think it's saying mm -hmm. I'm realizing this thing is really important to me. Is there a scenario where at least when we cook at home, we don't have meat? Like you could eat out with all your mm-hmm. meat when we cook separately. You could have all your meat, but like if we're going to cook at home, like I want to introduce you to some really cool vegan options, you know, like where is he willing to meet you?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's even like, can you just respect this about me? Totally. Like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like it. like, right. The worst case scenario is like he goes to his friends and he's like, she dumped me for not being vegan. Right. But the real truth is like, If you guys break up, it's because he doesn't respect a core value of yours. Mm -hmm. Period.
0: But there's a lot. I think there's a lot of conversations to be had before making Mm -hmm. that kind of decision. But it's worth those conversations. So. Hopefully that helped. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to JustBetweenUsPod at gmail.com. That's JustBetweenUsPod at gmail.com. Up
1: next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guests, Kristen Conger. Stay tuned.
0: To just between us, it's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting Tough Questions. This week on the show, we have
1: Kristen Conger, a creator, host, and executive producer of the feminist lifestyle podcast Unladylike. She's also the co author of Unladylike, a field guide to smashing the patriarchy and claiming your space, which Kirkus Reviews called a must have feminist survival guide for the Trump era. Hello, Kristen.
2: Hello! I'm so excited to be on the the hardest, juiciest, most controversial segment of podcasts. (laughs) Yeah,
0: we took a a very extensive survey. We came out ahead on that. Um, Yeah, I've seen the stats. I've seen the stats. (laughs) Uh, So we're so excited to talk to you today because you recently on your show did a deep dive into conspiracy theories and white suburban women, which I think is an intersection that was not talked about enough. Mm (laughs) So... What kind of put you on the hunt to kind of uncover their deep, deep deep-seated connection?
2: So it was kind of twofold. The initial thing that happened was during the pandemic, um, kind of in the, I guess this would have been, wow, late summer of 2020, 10,000 years ago. (laughs) I I saw a friend of mine, kind of a longtime acquaintance. Who, out of the blue, told me, she just kind of informed me that Joan Rivers, that Joan Rivers had died, not, not because of a mishap with an outpatient surgical procedure, which is what happened, to be clear. She informed me that it was actually a hit job. By who? By the Obama deep state. Oh. oh, okay. <laughs> oh. I thought she was joking because first of all, I was like, what? Joan Rivers who? What? How? <laughs> and then I realized she wasn't because then she mentioned that the Clintons probably had some something to do with it. And then Jeffrey Epstein came up and I, I was speechless like I still yeah. am now recalling it. And I was so taken aback. I mean, for a number of reasons, but it was something I never expected to, like, penetrate my social circle. Like, this was also around the time that QAnon and hashtag Save the Children was starting to get more consistent coverage, and you were starting to see it kind of creep into social media, like, wellness spaces and mom groups. But I felt still pretty removed from it because it was stuff I was reading on the internet. And then lo and behold, this person who I I just never would have thought would have been a QAnon conspiracy theorist, turns out, yeah, it was a lot closer to me than I realized. And then as I started researching, I realized that I was raised in in a kind of conspiratorial household. Like my parents were super evangelical Christian, like early 90s, when it was starting to get really hyper politicized. And the more I researched, the more I started recognizing themes of things that I was raised with, not conspiracy theories that I believe, but just these lines of thinking and Then I just couldn't stop. I I myself then fell down the rabbit hole.
1: What kind of lines of thinking? There
2: was a lot of the first the first thing that comes to mind is gay panic. So I feel like in the in the 90s, it was all about the so-called homosexual agenda, whereas now it's just been replaced with the so-called trans agenda. Which we all know is real. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, were, you know, trans people run the world. It's
1: mostly just to look super hot, and it's mostly my agenda. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> and it was, I almost hate to call her out like this, but my mom, who, she's she's chilled out since then. I will give her that. But as a kid, for instance, we were not allowed to wear Levi's brand jeans because... Levi's allegedly supported the homosexual agenda. Sure. Wow. So it was those kinds of, it was that kind of conspiratorial consumerism mm-hmm. that I started, you know, myself connecting the dots of, of like, oh, okay. Like a lot of, I mean, when Bill Clinton was elected, I mean, it was, you know, the apocalypse was nigh, y'all. hmm
0: Mm-hmm. So that's so interesting to be grown to have grown up in that lifestyle and that point of view and then still think that you were going to be safe from the conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not like as I as I grew up, I, I quickly grew out of that yeah.
2: culture. So I'm it's not like I'm still surrounding myself. I don't have church group after this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it probably it revealed to me also the important just baseline fact about conspiratorial beliefs, which is that all of us are susceptible to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that it's easy to think that we, that, it, that it's a matter of like, well, I'm a logical, smart person, so how could I, you know, engage in this? And it's like, no, 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 especially when we are living in conditions like we are of chaos and uncertainty, we like to seek out oversimplified and sometimes outright dangerous explanations for things that don't make
1: sense. Of course, because you feel powerless. Can you explain Mm -hmm. a little bit what Save the Children is? And then I want to get into like the background because I thought it was so interesting, the history of this kind of thing.
2: Yeah. So Save the Children was the QAnon hashtag that really started catching fire in, I think, in around 2020. And it's this conspiracy theory that there's this massive child sex trafficking ring that is run by a global cabal of elites and that there's also, we see it still, like, Raging with all of the grooming panic, don't say Mm -hmm. gay bills going on like this baseline fear that schools in particular are dangerous for children, that public schools are somehow like filling their heads with all kinds of propaganda and grooming them to be sexually preyed upon. And unfortunately, it is nothing new. Like QAnon did not invent this at all.
1: It's interesting because, okay, so going back, like, I think, like, when you you talked about when you have children involved, then it's when the women get involved Mm -hmm. and it becomes like this thing where women feel like, okay, so this kind of thing is seen as very machismo. And also, they're like usually very traditional where they're like, well, I defer to my husband. But when children get involved, they're like, okay, I'm a stay at home mom, but I, I can make. Uh, graphics for my Instagram and I can, you know, do these things where I'm sort of making a difference for these children who are not in trouble. But how did this start? What was the first instance of this that that you it goes back to like the inception of the clan? Like what was what did you find out as in terms of how this all started? In terms
2: of Save the Children specifically, like that was a catchphrase that a white woman named Anita Bryant in the 70s was banding about in a similar kind of anti-grooming, you know, campaign to where, where that was all of this panic over the possibility of gay teachers being mm-hmm. in the classroom. And if we go back even further, a lot of the, a lot of this white women-led conspiracy theorizing centered a lot around the Equal Rights Amendment. Like, to me, in looking at the history in the U.S., when the ERA is first introduced, soon after the—oh, my God, I should know the amendment. It's the one where women got the vote, and I'm totally the blanking ni- on the it. The 19th? <laughs> Thank you. I was like, 17th? That's not right. Um,
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, it's when white women got the right to vote. Yes,
2: yes. The The white lady voting amendment happened. And then in the 20s, soon after that, the ERA is introduced for the first time. And as your listeners might know, no, it has not been ratified into the Constitution yet. But the ERA was something that really mobilized a lot of these conservative white women who believed that it was some kind of anti-American, one-worldist sort of propaganda. And there was a lot of fear that from these white women that they would lose their feminine privileges. Mm. Like they they wanted, it's very like trad wifey, right? Of wanting to remain, like, stay-at-home wives and moms as if somehow, like, feminists are all about just, like, pushing women, you know? Nobody
1: is trying to make you not. I know. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And we see just, like, different iterations of this as the ERA would kind of rise and then fall again. And you see it big time in the 60s and early 70s where conservative white women really started getting organized and promoting a lot of anti-feminist propaganda, but using their status as mothers to give them credibility of just like, and and I feel like we still see so much of this discourse today where it's like, well, I'm a mother and therefore that is my expertise. And you can't argue with that. It's like, the double-edged sword of this, like, sacredness of motherhood that is so deeply entrenched in our pronatalist culture. Um, and I hope that I'm not about to just get y'all lots of hate mail from parents. But, yeah, short story long, it's been Save the Children has been festering for
0: decades, mm-hmm. nearly a century. And why do you think that, people are able to not see the underlying anti-Semitism and racism and classism that curses through these theories? (laughs) Like, would these people own up to that element of it? Or are they just like cognitive dissonance ignoring that undertone? I
2: think it's a little bit of both. I, I would think that it has a lot to do with how binary conspiracy belief is Because one of the reasons why it's so comforting in a way to people is because it splits the world into black and white. You have good people and you have evil people. And you somehow have the knowledge of who these secretly evil people are. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking in such black and white terms, if they believe that they're on the side of good and yeah, maybe there's a little anti-Semitism, transphobia, a lot of icky stuff, but it kind of comes out in the wash because, I mean, come on, like, you know, we're fighting evil here. So then you get into, I so I think that there's like intentional kind of ignorance to it, but also really believing that you are
1: on the side of good.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: It does come from feeling powerless. It does... I think people need to feel like they're doing something or fighting something or that they have a place in the world. I often feel like sometimes it's just like, you guys can just be friends. Did you know that you can just like be friends and you don't have to like rally around lizard people to do that? Like, I feel like they just, they just don't, they don't have a place in the world. And so they're desperately searching for like something that will be so meaningful and, and yet simple. I get it for women. I get it. But it's like, I, it's just so wrongheaded.
2: I also get it in the sense of how online everything is and the role of social media and all of it. It's also a side effect of finding your community. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, you know, people end up in these, in these little pockets in private Facebook groups or YouTube channel comment threads, whatever it might be. And I noticed this actually a couple of weeks ago. I was doing a bonus episode on Meghan Markle pregnancy truthers, Mm -hmm. which is like just it it is exactly what you think.
0: Wait, what is it? I got to know. Oh, oh,
2: (laughs) well, it is. So they are anti-Meghan Markle conspiracy theorists who believe that she never carried her, that she was never pregnant with her and Harry's two children. And some of them even believe that photos of their children are actually, their children are actually dolls. (laughs) And that this whole thing is a farce. And BuzzFeed actually just published this like huge investigative report, finding that, I mean, shocker, it was her estranged stepsister, maybe? who has been, like, feeding a lot of these conspiracy theories directly to a bunch of YouTubers who have been, like, eating it up. And I was watching a little bit of these YouTube channels, and they really, these people truly believe that, like, there's mind control involved, that, like, Harry is under duress, that, again, it goes back to some kind of, like, global elite cabal, I don't know why, like, the global elite would be so interested in Meghan and Harry, but okay, I guess, like, she had some good <laughs> relationships, uh, suits, but um, <laughs> they truly think that, like, going back to the binary, like, she is evil. She is evil incarnate to them, mm. and it's also, like, I mean, going back to, like, the motherhood aspect of it, too, it's so gross and twisted because... She's also gone on the record talking about pregnancy struggles and miscarriage, right. things like that. And it's a conspiracy theory that still has not died, even though her children are obviously, like, very much alive and well. And it's all rooted in racism because it's this horror that a royal child might be also a child of color. And mm-hmm. that's, that simply cannot be. And what I noticed when I was in these YouTube channels was how much of a like kind of in in group feel it was where like these people, they've seen all the videos, they're commenting, they're talking to each other, they're supporting each other. And it's this it's almost this little world that Mm -hmm. they've made for themselves that is incredibly toxic that, you know, they found
1: their people. We're gonna take a quick break for ads, but then we'll be right back with our guest. Just between us. And we're back. Can you talk a bit about what the globalist idea is and why that's so, why we're fighting that? <laughs> it's one of like the oldest
2: conspiracy theories in the book and to be honest, I'm not entirely sure why people have, like, never not been hung up on this, aside from just pure anti-Semitism. That's like what it is. is. It is, like, old, long-standing anti-Semitism that blames everything negative or bad on just some secret group of Jewish people who are controlling everything. And it's been wrapped up in different kinds of, you know, presentations and shifted like a little bit here and there over time. But it always like circles back to that. I mean, it's just, it's rooted in a lot of anti-Semitism, xenophobia, like
0: just any fear of the other. Mm-hmm. Michael Hobbs, who's like a really incredible podcaster and journalist, talks a lot about how like we fixate on stranger danger when in reality, the people that harm us are people we know. And so do you think there's like an element of that? Like if it's giving into these conspiracy theories, then it's like, well, it's these other people and I have to protect my family from these other people instead of the fact that maybe someone in your family is causing people harm.
2: A thousand percent. It's I think psychologically easier to grapple with the possibility that it's you know stranger danger outside of your home than the danger inside your home and in your relationships. And it's also just so classic to white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Like I I think it's we can't talk about the the stranger danger element and when we're thinking about Save the Children and this sex trafficking and grooming panic, that it is also connected to a very long history in the U.S. of white women's, quote-unquote, purity and protection being put on this pedestal. Mm -hmm. And so we see similar kinds of trafficking panic around you know native americans and like oh you know white women getting kidnapped by native americans and what will happen then you know all of the racism and about the stranger danger of black men men mm. of color like it's it's all of a piece of just this very toxic construct yeah. of white womanhood and also using white, that pedestal, that ladylike pedestal, not to be so totally on the nose about it, but using that as an excuse to then oppress, actively oppress other people. Because
1: look, you're you're saving the children and the women rather than like most mass shooters being white or like the domestic violence rates among police officers or whatever. Like, no, no, no. It's not coming from inside the house. Believe me. That's what they're saying. Yeah. So can you talk about the phone trees? Because we talked about social media. Can you talk about the, like, the white women doing these sort of phone trees around um, conspiracies and racism? Because that was so interesting to me.
2: Yes. So this was something that I learned from a history professor named Aaron Kempker, who wrote a book about conspiracism within the anti-ERA movement in the 70s called Big Sister. It's great. And one thing that really jumped out to me is how all of these suburban housewives and her research focused specifically on Indiana. So it's like all of these Midwest white suburban housewives who were really up in arms against the ERA. They were freaked out about second wave feminism. And I mean, I got to hand it to them. Like, they were very organized. So they would set up phone trees where they would have people essentially like all the ladies in the group calling their representatives, you know, their all the local folks, their friends and their neighbors, alerting them to whatever was coming down the pike, allegedly. And... There was uh, this one campaign, I think it was called Let Freedom Ring, and they put up all of these signs around town that are, are almost like, you know, like if someone like needs a roommate and it's got like, call this number, like the tearaway sheet with the phone number on it. It was kind of like that. And they would post all of these up and they would be phone number. It would be a phone number to a pre-recorded message that was just, you know, some kind of conspiratorial bullshit. and they would also go through I mean I'll hand it to the ladies they did go straight to the text like they would get congressional records and go through the transcripts and the minutes of committee meetings and flag anything that they suspected had to do with any kind of like globalist organizing like they were very against the UN like anything that was like hey, (laughs) let's help each other out. Like, that was seen as something, you know, very nefarious because we're America, we need to protect ourselves. And it was also a fear in that, too, of not just, like, white society being upended, but it's really also about, like, Christian nationalism and white Christian society, Being displaced, which is also where like my own like 1990s childhood (laughs) dovetails with that, because my my parents, to my knowledge, weren't on any phone trees, but we were always going to Christian bookstores and getting magazines in the mail and like
0: all of this conspiratorial
2: kind of propaganda. Mm -hmm.
0: How much is this straight down the line of it all being Republican women?
2: I would say it's. A majority Republican women. But I did see a statistic, and this has potentially changed, but this was from a couple years ago, where there was a slim minority of self-identified Democrats who also believed in QAnon. So there's there's a little bit of overlap, but it's by and large a conservative effort. And it's also been part of a broader political, like conservative political strategy because clearly like the Republican Party is very much like capitalized on this. And yeah, I mean, you can't, I I think at this point you definitely can't, you can't separate the two, right?
1: I do think there's an element of like the dirtbag left as they call themselves, where like they do kind of traffic in this kind of thing, pun not intended, um, where they very much like, will do this sort of like, yeah, we're leftist. So the Clintons are lizard people or like right. we're leftist. Mm. And so Epstein was taking Chrissy Teigen and John Legend to the island to like fuck children, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like there, there is this element of like the dirtbag left sort of. And some of it was like started ironically, I think, for some of them. And then just slowly became real where they're like, you know the the girls from red scare hanging out with alex jones or like you know this kind of thing where there's a there's a convergence of like sandy hook wasn't real and also like uh hillary clinton drinks blood and it like <laughs> you know what i mean and it yeah. it goes into like the the extreme leftists too absolutely
2: i mean it, it starts to become like you know snake eating its tail mm-hmm. because what i think what those two like polar opposite political perspectives might have in common is this fundamental mistrust of government, Uh people in power. And that was something that uh, a misinformation researcher who focuses on TikTok named Abby Richards really emphasized was that the questioning power is important to our democracy Uh and that, like, the the answer to all of this is not, like, ooh, if it's a conspiracy theory, therefore it is it is bad, 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 get away. Like, no, no. Like, this kind of skepticism, it can be healthy. And also, we have to remember conspiracy theories that have turned out to be true and terrible things that people in power and the government have done, particularly, though, to already marginalized groups. right I mean, I think that's where it's, like, when you— factor in the targets of the conspiracy theories and who is actively harmed by it, I think that's that's where, I don't know, I, I wonder if that's where maybe the dirtbag left yeah. and the QAnon right kind of uh, hope, I would hope, maybe this makes me a dirtbag leftist, but I would hope that they at least, like, there's a little bit of distance yeah. there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Like what even defines a conspiracy theory, right? Because I think that you're right that some things have really turned out to be true that originally were not mainstream accepted. Does a conspiracy in itself, like I feel like implies it's not real. Like how would you define it?
2: Yeah, so in terms of conspiratorial thinking, the three main ingredients of that are everything is connected, Mm. accidents don't happen, and nothing is as it seems essentially question everything and any dots that could possibly be connected you know any we're not talking about like correlation versus causation if it correlates it is the cause <laughs> and like when i was doing my research and kind of got into those sort of fundamentals it made a lot more sense of like oh just like getting into that mindset and it is kind of challenging that like conspiracy theory especially these days does suggest like therefore must not be true and I wonder if we I don't know it, it. I'm now finding myself like wondering if we need like some kind of new language to refer to conspiracy theories that did turn out to be true although I guess the term for that is facts right
1: <laughs> like I definitely am I agree with questioning everything I absolutely agree with like questioning everything, looking into everything. You know, I think we really did a disservice to Gary Webb, who uncovered that the CIA actually did put crack in Black communities. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, I think, like, there, there are things that totally ended up being true. I ran Contra, like, you know, stuff that, like, actually did end up being true. So I do understand the questioning of everything. It's just when it get it's just like you're right it's like who is it against like is that is the government against black people that is you know the government against you know people in Nicaragua whatever like there's like a differentiation in like who has the power cuz the government's not going against evangelical Christians like i'm sorry like it's just not what's happening
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think that power that power question is so important in all of this like who who is claiming to be oppressed in some way? Who and who do they think they're being harmed by? Yeah. And why? And yeah, it's like I again, I remember in the 90s, like there was my my parents having this very real fear that Christians were being actively oppressed, mm-hmm. that like there should be prayer in public school. And Doing away with that is somehow like a a violation. And it's, I'll admit, it didn't make a lot of sense then. And it makes even less sense now because, I mean, yeah, well, I don't have to explain why it makes more sense now. So
1: why don't these conspiracy theorists look into the fact that many Black Lives Matter leaders have suddenly showed up dead. Why aren't these conspiracy theorists looking into, like, the huge, you know, loss of Black trans lives? Like, we have had exposing of gangs in police departments. Like, there are conspiracies. Like, wh- why? You know what I, mean? I know the answer why, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like, there are conspiracies that are actually happening, but they're like, no, not those. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's I would
2: guess that their answer to things like, well, what about Black Lives Matter protesters or, you know, black trans people, their answer
1: would probably be, well, they're part of the cabal. Oh, my God. Listen, I'd love to be part of the cabal. I've never been invited to the cabal, to be
0: honest. And I am a Jew. Me neither. Uh, Yeah. I mean, come on, where's your invitation? Where's my invitation? So I'm curious, like, what do we do? Like, because everything I'm learning in school is like, once these people believe these things, they're kind of gone. Like,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and I'm curious that you said that your, your mom has sort of chilled out. Like, have you like, once someone is sort of believing some of this, is it just kind of inevitable that they're going to fall over the ledge into believing all of it? Are there ways to, to change people's minds back? Like, or is it just sort of like we've lost them? I don't think that
2: you've necessarily
0: lost someone. I will say that with my
2: friend who 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 started this whole thing, she has also toned down hmm. a lot of her conspiracy theorizing, it seems like. It seems like she's moved away from QAnon. And I think in her case, part of what happened was the isolation of pandemic and kind of suddenly finding herself in in a community and I also know that a good friend of hers is really into conspiracy theories and I think kind of pulled her into that and research suggests that yeah it is you can't you can't talk someone out of a conspiracy theory in fact confronting someone attempting to confront someone with facts and logic often just pushes them even further into into conspiracy and a lot of times it seems like they almost have to come out of it themselves. When I was talking to Bridget Todd in part 2 of that series, she was really emphasizing the importance of community and and a lot of this also reflects like I think an absence of Like day-to-day in-person community in our just like culture right now and that a lot of it can result from isolation or being Mm -hmm. like isolating yourself away from mainstream society. And in terms of what to do about it... I don't know the answer. And if I claimed to know the answer, I would probably be wrong. Because one thing that that really struck me that I had realized about how I was approaching all this research, like I, too, was looking for an answer. But in a way, looking for a concrete answer to conspiracy theories is almost conspiratorial belief because it's looking for a simple answer oh my God. to a very complex problem. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I know. And it's like, it's so unsexy to be like, well, you know, I mean, we've got to work on institutional trust. Oh, and, God. You know, yeah. But it's like, I think it is a lot of that kind of analog, person-to-person relationship and our media ecosystem like it's it's so big that it's gonna take a lot of big stuff we'll never do away with it entirely but god wouldn't it be so fun for us to just get back to like conspiracy theories that are just about like aliens and like Avril Lavigne's clone
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah my favorite conspiracy is that my game hypotheticals is actually the world's favorite game wow and that um, that it will one day take over um, instead of TikTok people will just play hypotheticals
2: wow I've seen that on some Reddit threads
1: yeah exactly
0: <laughs> the YouTubers
1: are making their videos about it it's <laughs> connecting a lot of dots <laughs>
0: That said, do you want to play hypotheticals? I do. <laughs> I do. Yay. So you and Gabby you're going to be my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And I decide who's right. Not based off fact, but just a gut instinct, which I think is what's really leading a lot of people these days. <laughs> Our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Okay. Your partner of 29 years admits to you that 6 months into dating, you caught them kissing a coworker, but your partner knows some light magic and used it to make you forget the incident. What? They're only telling you now because the spell is about to wear off and the memory would come back to you. Would you
1: stay with this cheater? What? No. No? No. They took away my consent. Anytime you take away someone's memory, I it's consent-based for me. I hate that in movies and stuff. Like, I don't like that.
2: Yeah, I, I was watching um, Overboard for the first time right? a few weeks ago. And I was like, this is a fucked up. <laughs> um, anyway. Okay, no, I I too would not stay with The Cheater. Because if the spell is wearing off after 29 years... They clearly, you know, saw an end point for this relationship and or they just assumed that I would be so old and decrepit that it wouldn't matter anyway. So I would say, you know what, like this is this is over. You know, you you were right.
1: What else have they made me forget? And also, like that, you did magic on me and I didn't consent.
0: Yeah.
2: And if it was just kissing a co worker, yeah. you thought you needed to pull some non consensual magic on me for that. Like, if you just told me, I probably would have been like, well, that's sloppy, but
0: okay, <laughs> let's stay together for 31 years. <gasps> Oh, my God. Yeah, I think it would really make me question what else have they made me forget. Exactly. Unsettling. Wait, so is that a possibility? Yeah. Is was hypothetical that there was more? Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, I would be very into a partner who can do light magic. Oh, Oh, yeah. That would be exciting. That's why you're upset, Allison. You're like, 29
1: years, you didn't even tell me you could do
0: magic? I love magic.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) All right, so we've got a consensus. We're leaving... And but but now we know magic exists, and we can search for it. If
1: I can even trust this liar, what if he? What if this whole thing is a lie?
0: Why would they lie about that? I don't know.
1: <laughs> Lies. Who was who was the coworker? Like also, why would you bring it back up unless like the, the coworker become off. famous? The spell is oh, wearing yeah, off, yeah. and yeah, the co. Did the coworker? Did he do a spell on the coworker too? No. So this person's known the whole time. No, I'm out.
0: (laughs) Fuck that. (laughs) Fuck that. That's I agree with this. I agree with this reasoning. Our next game is argue a terrible parent. You give your teenager a credit card for emergencies and they end up spending $400 on new clothes because they think the state of their old wardrobe was an emergency. Instead of making them return everything, you just refuse to buy them any desserts at family outings until what they would have ordered adds up to four hundred dollars. This takes three years, and they <laughs> love dessert. Are you a terrible parent? This is so complicated this is so
2: <laughs> convoluted I'm gonna say yes, you are a terrible parent, not for giving them the credit card, but for denying them $400 worth of dessert. Like, <laughs> I mean, when I was a teenager, if my parent had denied me dessert, even, even if it was to pay off my $400 wardrobe, I would have internalized that as them telling me I didn't need to eat dessert. So mm. I'm going to say that's bad parenting from just like a body positivity perspective. And that is wild for you to want to keep tabs on a $400 like I agree.
0: <laughs> payback over agree. 3 years. I agree. What what would the appropriate response be if your child spent that $400 on non-returnable clothing? Well, are they cute? <laughs> yeah, it's very cute stuff.
1: Then I guess we have to take their existing wardrobe and donate it. They don't get to keep any of whatever they had originally.
2: All right. Yeah, we're a good person. <laughs> Were they at least trying to like shop a uh, uh, shop sales or, no. you know, full price oh, for man. every item? OK, yeah, we're taking it back. They full Full retail for a whole new wardrobe. No,
1: <laughs> maybe we could make them do like a shift, like a like a charity, like a charity shift at like a clothing. You know what I mean? Like make them do like a clothing drive so that they understand the
0: importance of clothes. Or they have to volunteer for enough hours to make up four hundred dollars on minimum wage. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I like that. That's a that's a cool idea. I like that. We're like we're that. incredible yeah. parents, all three of us. Oh, yeah. So good with our non-children.
0: <laughs> okay, our final game. Would you forgive this liar? You run into your middle school art teacher as an adult. And you are so excited to share with her that you recently quit law school to pursue painting full time. Uh oh. And one of the main reasons is because she told you that you had what it takes to make it in the art world. Uh oh. Your old teacher turns pale and admits that she says that to every student, regardless of talent, Uh-oh. because she read it helps build overall confidence. Would you forgive this liar? I wish that she hadn't told me the
1: truth. Just oh, don't tell me different. the truth. Let me live in my delusion and let me be a successful artist. Half of being an artist is sheer delusion. <laughs> like, just you just let me live in my like delusion. You know what I mean? Why? Why would you tell me the truth? Who cares?
2: Yeah, I think the harder thing to forgive would be her honesty in that <laughs> moment. Right. Because also, you're like, hey, and I just quit law school, so just I'm going all in on this. Say nothing. Like, just say nothing. Yeah. yeah, or just feign, like, who are you? You know, and then kind of, you know, shuffle away. Yeah. Um, I think that would be the oddest part of it. And really, you know, harder than forgiving that middle school teacher would be forgiving myself for the clear
1: mistake
2: I just made with
1: my life. What if you actually are a good artist, though? Yeah, maybe you're great She at says it. that to everyone, but like. You are actually good. Quitting law school?
2: Good. I mean, I'm also. Oh, my God. Although, fuck law school. I mean, I'm not out here, you know, pro law school. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Is the middle
0: school art teacher, is she a good artist?
1: Great question.
0: She, if you were to rate all the artists in the whole world, people who call themselves artists, she would be like 35 out of 100. Wow, that's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. I, it's not that good. There's 65% of people are better than her. I don't really understand this oh, math, okay. but I... I didn't either. Okay, so like <laughs> imagine like she, she's in like the 35th percentile. <laughs> so I, I, she's, that's good. She's better than 34% of people who consider them artists, but worse than 65% of artists. And you think that's good to you? For an art teacher? Know. For a middle school art teacher? Yeah, yeah that's, that's banging. True for middle, yeah, for a middle school art teacher. Okay,
1: yeah. I, I think I have what it takes. But we're not,
0: take, we're not taking into account all the people who are actually very good at art but do not consider themselves artists.
1: Whoa. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: changes things. Well, okay, I got to confess that I was homeschooled through elementary and middle school so my middle school art teacher technically was my mom <laughs> so in this case if I told my mom that I had quit law school because she'd once told me I was such a good painter and then she was like honey I say that, too. Oh, I that to all my children I told your father <laughs> that last night I don't know I yeah That's on I, her I would make a meal out of she's it she's a terrible yeah. parent <laughs>
0: done <laughs> she's a terrible parent I should have raised myself because we're the best parents <laughs> done. That's the perfect conclusion to this segment. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can everyone follow all the amazing stuff that you're doing and listen to those episodes?
2: You can listen to the podcast Unladylike anywhere you find podcasts. You can also follow at Unladylike Media on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you want to listen to The Conspiracy two-parter, it's called Illuminati Influencer Queens, part one and two.
0: And thank you all so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Ah, Thank you for joining us. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about anti-drag legislation. Boo! Hiss! Just between us, it's time for topics. XXXXX, X, 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 baby. 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 <laughs> Melissa's a little bit sick. This is my very sexy voice. This is the voice of congestion. Congestion and suggestion. A,
1: conge- <laughs> a suggestion of conjectio- congestion. Congestion. Wow, wow, wow. So, this is a tough one, but I wanted to talk about this, and I know that it's been it'll have been a little while though it, it it's still worthy to talk about even probably for the next years but i wanted to talk about the the shooting at club q which is a colorado springs queer bar that five people were killed and i wanted to discuss it because i think it comes on the heels of a bigger conversation about anti trans and then also anti-drag legislation. I did not have on my bingo card, Republicans go after drag. I should have. And I did not see that coming. I think, you know, drag has become very mainstream. And because of that, it faces the same problems as trans visibility does, which is all of a sudden people who didn't even think about it or know about it are like, wait, we got to do something about this. And it's out of fear largely. And so, there's been a lot of conversations about like drag being grooming or like trans being grooming. And like we talked about this a bit in our interview with Kristen earlier, about how uh, it used to be seen as like if you were a gay teacher, if you were even a, a, a teacher who was gay, you were grooming kids. Which honestly, it's it's this idea that like if they see something gay, they will become gay, which is hilarious because I saw so much straight stuff, and yet here I sit.
0: Can I ask for a little clarity about grooming? Because I think often grooming is used in the context of of then having a sexual relationship with them. Is that what they're talking about? Or just like turning them gay or turning them trans?
1: Both. It's a problem with turning them gay, turning them trans, turning them into drag queens, question mark. But also the idea that this is like pedophilic in some way, that Mm -hmm. we're forcing children into sexual situations where inherently that is not true, is drag, like, some drag kind of, like, fl- flirty sexy? Yeah, but that's not what's happening. Like, that, that's not what's happening when they read to ch- kids at the library. Like, you know, that's very different than going to a drag club. Also, it's very interesting to me, these people who are like, I don't want to give my kid the vaccine because parents should have complete freedom and discretion on what to do with their children. Okay, parent brings a teenager to a drag club. No, not that. You know what I mean? Like, so I, it's like this sort of libertarian sensibility that only applies in certain cases and not in others. But the real problem is, is that, so then there's all there's obviously been, the, it culminates in this kind of violence. And the, a few of the people that were killed, not that it matters, but a few of them were just cis, cis straight allies that were just at the club. Two bartenders were killed and uh, two trans people were killed. It it freaked me out and hit close to home is my sister is a bartender at a queer bar. So she was, you know, her bar was very much like, here's our contingency plan. Here's what we do. She was very upset about it. I don't want to talk a little bit more about that because that's her experience, but she was having some mental health problems around it. And so basically what the words, the anti-trans and anti-gay and anti-drag words and legislation leads to these actions directly because as Kristen was talking about, they believe they're saving the children by doing this. So there's this bill in Texas called Bill 643, which seeks to criminalize drag shows and eliminate trans people from public life. It's basically this idea that it prevents drag performances from taking place. Anything that is a drag performance renders a venue a sexually oriented business. And it basically says, Under the bill, this is on Pink News, under the bill, such drag shows are defined as a performance in which a performer exhibits a gender identity that is different than the performer's gender assigned at birth, using clothing, makeup, and other physical markers, and sings, lip syncs, dances, or otherwise performs before an audience for entertainment. So this goes all the way back to Stonewall and laws and legislation wherein if you were at a bar or or in the street or wherever, public, and you were not wearing... Uh, five markers of clothing that were to your g- assigned gender. If you were wearing, if you were found to be wearing something that wasn't assigned to your gender, uh, you could be arrested. It seems like we're going backwards to that kind of legislation that I thought we had surpassed, and it's like it—it's so—it's such a dangerous, slippery slope. It does lead to other things, such as like last week where there was a man in Georgia who was arrested for making terrorist threats on social media against two LGBTQ nightclubs. And that's reported in The Advocate. Uh, so there is constantly, and like, again, like while talking about Club Q, Tucker Carlson had on this woman from Gays Against Groomers, which is basically this group that put the blame of on the shooting on gender-affirming health care saying that it's like an evil agenda and that, you know, it it's groomer being accused of being groomers is doing harm to queer people as a whole, even though, I mean, it's basically just turf rhetoric, like, or transphobe rhetoric saying that, you know, we're, we're, we're gay, but we're like, we're, we're not, you know, we're good. And we're not like these bad gays or whatever, which basically just plays into Republican talking points. That's the call coming from inside the house. But someone like Tucker Carlson or all these Fox News people having these people on and creating this fear is what directly causes violence against our community.
0: Yeah, it was interesting to learn this term stochastic terrorism. I apologize if I mispronounce it, but it's basically when the public condemnation of a group leads to violent acts against the group. Right. And so I Mm -hmm. think that that's exactly what we're seeing with all of these anti-trans bills, all of these, you know, anti-drag bills. Like it's saying, like, this is this is really harming people. These people are doing harm. And then being I can't believe somebody went and tried to kill those exact people that we were saying were so dangerous and needed to be stopped. Exactly, And the people that are making those statements are the ones that are the first ones to come out and say, I can't believe this happened. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. And also, what do you think is going to happen? If you say these things, what do you think is going to happen? And I also want to say that, like, this is why we need these safe spaces. This is why we need spaces for queer people and allies and even just for queer people because the outside world is so hostile. And that's why it's so jarring and so sad when something happens in one of those spaces. And it it does put a target, right? You see a place called Club Q. You know that's a queer space. So it does put a target, which is like I go out in West Hollywood. I go out all the time. I went out the next day like I'm not I'm not going to be scared, but away from these spaces. But it is like, you know, you, you some places are like experiencing less clientele. I think now would be a good time for people to go and support local queer bars if they can local drag if they can. It's like the guns issue, the mental health issue, and then also we're not hurting anyone. Like, we literally just want to live. Like, we're not hurting anyone. And it was so devastating to see photos of these people because they look like my friends. Like, Daniel Alston, who passed away, had pictures up showing off his top surgery. I'm about to get top surgery. Like, that's, you know what I mean? Like, that's me and then people I know. It's also just like so fucked up. Like there was like the the, I think the perpetrator is trying to get uh, not get charged with a federal hate crime. So it doesn't have the death penalty. So they started like saying like, oh, I'm non-binary. I'm part of the community, which is just a final fuck you. Like this isn't funny.
0: Yeah, I was trying to figure out where that was coming from because like his lawyer was saying this. Right. And then the family members were like. No, that's not true.
1: (laughs) Oh, and then the dad came out and was like, when I heard that my son was at Club Q, I was like, oh my God, is my son gay? But turns out he was just the shooter. What? Like, this is so, and like, it's just a final, it's just like not funny. Like, it's such a final fuck you to be like, and I think people should think about like, when they're writing stuff or when they're doing stuff or when they're talking about stuff, the way that they talk about non-binary identity. And like, how it's like, well, it could be anything like, well, like just this way that makes it a joke. Like, it just like was so everything felt so gross for like that whole week. I was just like, everything feels disgusting. I hate everything. Like I, I just it's just going to I mean, since Pulse, like, I don't know. I just don't want this to be forgotten.
0: One of the things that's really scary about this anti-drag legislation coming out of Texas is how vague the wording is correct. So like, oh, in theory, it's about drag shows. But if you look at the actual details, it's anyone trans performing anything suddenly becomes a sexually oriented business, which makes them subject to different rules and like all these things. And so it's not even like a traditional drag show. It's like, oh, if you're you happen to be trans and you happen to like want to sing at karaoke. Oh, suddenly it's a sexually oriented business. Like it's so nefarious and it's so obvious what they're doing and that they're after they're after everybody. It's Mm -hmm. like they think like they're starting with these smaller targets, but it's really it's coming after every everyone who is not performing gender in the exact way that they deem to be socially appropriate and religiously accurate.
1: But like, if you go see Charlie XEX, like if you go see like any fucking show, it's at your discretion if the kid is there or not. And like, drag inherently is not like, oh my god, a child is going to see a drag queen. Like, oh my god, they might realize that gender is expansive, and they might have an easier time in life if that's something that they like. It, it's it's you. Your kid sits on Santa's lap, like. Your kid goes to, to Disney and sees people dressed up in costume. Like, I don't understand. Like, it's just this, it's just all fake.
0: Yeah, it's just a way to get their hate out in what they they believe is a coded way, but everybody can see through it.
1: And then it just causes good people to be killed in a space that they
0: felt safe in. Mm-hmm. Right, like the the denial that this type of rhetoric will lead to direct violence is so ridiculous and has, like, no legs to stand on.
1: It's going to lead to direct violence, which is me kicking the shit out of any transphobes I see. That's the violence it's going to lead me to. Me absolutely kicking the shit out of it.
0: (laughs) You did do kickboxing for a little bit, right? Yeah. Catch these hands. (laughs) (laughs) What do we rate this episode? I rate
1: it eight out of seven save the children oh Oh, no (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: I will rate it um, 23 out of 14 yummy vegan meals hell yeah I'll rate it 30 out of 20 light magic tricks (laughs) (laughs) ah Thank you to Kristen Conger for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by
1: me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond-Montz. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Allison Raskin, at SheIsNotMelissa, at GabbyRoad, Emotional Support Lady Substack, Patreon.com slash Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, you can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye!
0: Forever
1: Dog!